everyone. We are so excited today to have our guest Nazir McFadden, which is, wait a minute, the assistant conductor and Philip and Lauren Fisher community ambassador of the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, as well as the music director of the Detroit Symphony Youth Orchestra. Oh my gosh. Welcome, Nazir. How are you? Did I get that right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. Uh, Yes, you did get it right. I know it's a a handful, but... It's well-deserved, though, so it's worth (laughs) it. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, like, we know so much about you and your career, and we're going to dive into that. But first of all, for our audience members who maybe this is their first introduction to you, tell us about yourself. Sure. So I'm the newly appointed assistant conductor and all of the other things at the DSO. But before this, I was the inaugural apprentice conductor for the Philadelphia Ballet, uh, which Philadelphia is my hometown. That's where I'm from. Uh, I was raised there. And I, it's really, it's been a crazy journey coming straight out of school and almost headed to the Navy band playing clarinet. And then my life completely changed within a matter of a week. Um, but I'm taking it day by day and living life to the fullest. So. Wow. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I don't think I knew that you were a clarinetist before before switching over. What happened? I mean, what what caused the the switch over? Well, I I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. But uh, I, so I applied for the DSO position a few months before the audition, but I completely forgot about it because I didn't think that I would be invited or pass resume round um, because of I only had the apprenticeship under my belt. So I completely forgot in one week before I was supposed to go to Navy boot camp, I got the email saying, oh, you made finals. We'd like to have you out to audition. And I go, what do you mean? So I went through my emails and I'm like, oh, yeah, I did apply for this. I forgot. Um, So it was all expenses paid. And I was like, I'd be a fool not to take the audition. And you never know. Um, So... I took the audition. I found out the day after that I won and I had to make a life changing decision uh, in that 24 hour span before going to boot camp. So, whirlwind change. <laughs> it would have been easy for me. Exercise, no exercise. The no, please. Well, the crazy part about it is I was physically and mentally ready and I was prepared. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, it can't be any worse than my mom telling me to do the dishes. Right. So, <laughs> and I like to procrastinate. So I've heard her scream and yell at me. So they're not scarier than my mom. So I was ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been training uh, prior. I won that job uh, a day after my 21st birthday. So I had a span of about, I want to say six months. And uh, things just change. You never should plan. <laughs> or never have your mind fully set on one thing because it can change in a moment. Wow. So uh, first of all, sorry if you hear random band sounds in the background. For anybody watching, Jan Fest at UGA is going on right now. Blessed assurance. We love high schoolers and playing honor bands. But have a, so where did you go to school? You know, how did you, you know, get there? Where, where did you go? Uh, so college-wise, where did I go to school for college? So I spent two years at DePaul University, entered in 2018. And around 2020, of course, you know, the pandemic happened. Uh, so they sent everyone home. They said, you can't stay on campus. So I went back home to Philadelphia. And I thought, after, the, after three or four months, I thought, okay, we're not going back to school anytime soon. So why would I pay out-of-state tuition 
when I can be paying in-state tuition and go to a great university, Temple University. So I spent one and a half years at Temple. Um, and then I won the Navy Band. So I still have a semester left to finish. I don't know when I'll have the time to do it. Um, but, you know, that one and a half semester was completely online. So I spent so much time practicing my clarinet and reading scores and just trying to better my craft because, you know, so many of us took that time to kind of refresh and relax and there's nothing against it. But me, I took that time, like so many others, to, you know, practice as much as I possibly can and learn as much about music. Um, so that two-year span pretty much forced me in to... to um, have my, my eyes set on where I wanted to go. Um, and then the Navy thing happened and then DSO happened and everything just worked in ways which I didn't expect, but I am so grateful for. So like with, with your education, where, where did your interest in like conducting come from? If you could, did you go to school for, for like clarinet performance and then something just, did you meet someone and it just, or did you see a certain conductor conduct and you were like, okay, this is what I want to do? Um, yes to all of that, actually. Um, I went to university for clarinet performance. Uh, at DePaul University, I actually had the pleasure of being the first conducting student that they've ever had. Um, I worked really, really hard to get that program started. It's still not technically an official thing anymore because the pandemic kind of threw everything in the loop. Um, but I got to work with uh, the orchestra director, Cliff Colnott, but also uh, Ricardo Muti of the CSO, who was one of my principal teachers. But my conducting journey actually started much much, much before this, um, I used, I tell the story all the time um, that I used to break plastic clothes hangers and I used to throw on my noise cancellation headphones. Um, it wasn't noise cancellation back then. <laughs> I just turned the music as loud as possible. But I used to wave my arms around, not really understanding what I was doing in fifth grade um, with this broken baton, but connecting to the music in a way that I wasn't quite able to do with my clarinet. Um, I could never improvise, um, so I was always used to reading music, but with conducting, I thought, oh my goodness, I can move my entire body, my mind can be fully immersed into the music, and I can experience this, you know, this creativity on a new, a new level. Um, so throughout middle school and high school, you know, I reached out to every local ensemble, youth and professional. I'm sure the Philadelphia Orchestra still has those emails. Um, just begging for the chance to observe a rehearsal, to conduct a rehearsal, um, to conduct a concert without the rehearsal, which probably doesn't work. Um, but just the chance to, you know, you know, figure out what this passion of mine truly was and a way to get better. Um, my friend started a, a, a a local orchestra called the Central City Chamber Orchestra. And this was an orchestra founded by students for students um, and ran by students. Um, like I said, every youth orchestra that I played in in Philadelphia in the local region, I begged the conductor to let me step on the podium at least once just to get that feeling. Um, because so much of what conductors do is without an ensemble. And, you know, things started to progress and I was awarded a, to be the inaugural princess conductor of the Philadelphia Ballet, um, and also with the New York Youth Symphony as well. I was a, a princess conductor. 
Um, so every opportunity that was or wasn't there, I made it my mission to be a part of whatever organization. I always tell my students now and anyone who asked about conducting or anything in music, you know, if there's a door, knock on the door. If the door is locked, kick it open. Um, and that's, that's my, my dad always says, closed mouths don't get fed. And that's what I live by. Every opportunity is an opportunity to do something more. I love, I really love and resonate a lot with um, what you said, and I'm sure a lot of um, our listeners also have felt this idea of like, there's something you may start off doing that you don't feel as connected to as something else, or you, you were talking to that the fact that you felt you could connect with music more through your conducting than you were able to with your your clarinet and that's that says a lot because i feel like so many people feel stuck and they're like i don't know exactly what to do but they have this thing that they do and maybe it's just there's something else for you that you feel like you could still be connected to music somehow in the community and the arts somehow but maybe it's in a different way um and i think the pandemic what I really do love about the pandemic is we had, there was a lot of uh, cases like yours where people just really dug in and wanted to like, I'm going to do, I'm going to really go in for these two or whatever years and practice, 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 because we'll never have the time to do this probably ever, hopefully ever again. You know what I mean? Um, Which I'm realizing is the case. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And, but then there's also um, a, a lot of people who sat down and really thought like, is this, is what I'm doing right now actually what, I want to do is it is it something I want to continue doing or is there a different path that can make me continue being in the field that I love but I want but maybe connect I can connect with people and with the music or with you know the community in a different way so it's it's actually really beautiful the different paths we saw come out of uh, 2020 and I'm always encouraging the people like if you're in a rut and especially if it's something that you've been thinking about for a while and usually cases like that where you're like, I feel like I just really couldn't connect because I, I feel the same way sometimes. I'm like, they're just aspects of what I do that just feels natural to who I am. Like it feels like breathing. And there are other things that I'm kind of like, this happens, <laughs> but not in the natural way that it feels um, like what I do X and X. And I know this is something, Anthony, I'm sure you can relate to as well as being a performer to conductor path. Yeah, definitely. Um, when you when you said uh, you felt something with conducting, that's exactly you know what I felt as a young child as well. I'm like I feel most comfortable waving my arms, and even when I get on the podium, uh, I am not a good improviser either. You can ask my jazz theory professor. I'm like, sir, do not call my name. That is not good. <laughs> Do not call me up there. But now if you want me to improvise conducting wise and come up with a gesture and this and that, absolutely, I can do that because it's a natural within, you know, music is within. So what your musical, like what started you? Your family, is it, uh, are they musical, church? You know, where did your your passion for music start? Yeah, you, you just said it actually, church. Um, like so many people of color, we grow up in the church. And um, this was my first introduction to music um, in a celebratory and communal way. Um, my family, my great-grandmother was the founding member of one of my church's choir, or my church's choir, one of the choirs, sorry. 
Um, and through that, my grandmother, my mom, my uncle, they all are church musicians in some way, shape or form. Some retired. Um, but I, I always found when I would attend the church rehearsals every Tuesdays and Thursdays, you had to be on time. But um, I would always find myself sneaking pew to pew. They would always put the children in the back so that we could do our homework or play or something, whatever. And I would find myself sneaking pew to pew to pew to pew to behind the drum set, but always watching what the chorus was doing and the conductor or the music director and just being in all of the energy and the charisma and the harmony, just wanting to be a part of it in some way, shape or form. But it wasn't until fifth grade. Fifth grade was life changing for me. Um, this was my you know, introduction to formal training um, within music. And originally I wasn't selected for the band. And this is the funniest story that I always tell, but it's 100% true. I wasn't selected for the band in fifth grade. Um, so I did what any young kid would do. I threw a temper tantrum. Uh, <laughs> I, I kicked the desk. I threw my papers off of, off of the desk and onto the floor um, and kind of just said, you know, I'm not doing my work for the day. Um, but it wasn't until my conductor, Miss Cologne, I'll never forget this woman. She came up to me with the sweetest voice and she said, baby, what's wrong? You're such a good kid. And I, I, I thought, I, I told her, you know, I know music. My family, they're musicians. Like I need to, to live up to that standard. I need to be a part of it. And I don't understand why I wasn't chosen. And she didn't, she didn't really explain why. But she looked at me for maybe 30 seconds, nodded her head, walked to her desk, wrote a little letter, and she said, give this to the band director. To this day, I don't know what, what that note said, but all I knew was that I was signed up for band. And what I think is that her demanding that I join the band, she saw it as a chance to teach me determination or, or, or drive or a way for me to let out my emotions instead of not doing my work for the day. She thought, you know, I, I think this is what she thought. And um, man, am I grateful for Miss Cologne um, because I don't know where I'd be if I didn't join the band. And from that point on, music completely consumed my life and my attention. Story. Music education. It's so funny how it's too often left out of the conversation when we start talking about professional, you know, um, like careers and aspirations and everything, but we would, none of us would be here without nope. our, you know, our band directors, some choir directors as well, like who helped us get to this point. And I know that music education is something that you're very invested in, especially within the community, especially within minoritized um, like populations. What, what's been, how did that kind of start once you got into a position yourself where you saw that you could inspire and help bring about change within music education, especially for communities who are underserved? Like when did that start and what, what are you doing right now to, to help with that? Well, first I should say, you know, I vividly remember um, a few years after I started, so I want to say maybe eighth grade, Philadelphia, you know, it's not, it's not the richest city. There, there's so much um, corruption and lack of funding within the school district, especially in public schools. I, I grew up in public schools, went through it all the way. Um, so I remember vividly 
there was a like a withdrawal of music programs, not just music programs, but arts programs within the schools. And I was so afraid that my um, my music program would be taken away. So like I always do, I'm always sending emails. Um, I sent an email to the school district and I sent an email to my principal, just like begging for an answer, looking for an answer. Um, would I be able to, to be a musician? Because if not, I was gonna transfer schools. <laughs> But, you know, if it, if it hadn't been for the local adult musicians and organizations within that city taking the time to, to help me craft this musical life for myself, I don't know where I'd be. It takes a village. That saying is such an understatement to what is actually needed and required to, you know, build up the next generation within any um any genre of the arts or any um, field, work, working field or anything. Um, so what I'm striving to do here in Detroit is to open up the, the, this, or to break down the wall between the DSO and its community, um, especially in the public school system, because just like Philadelphia, Detroit is a city that has gone through so many ups and downs. And at the moment, the city is in a bit of a Renaissance period, but, um, I'm looking to collaborate pro bono as much as possible. Um, I'm visiting schools just to talk to the teachers, to talk to the administration, to let them know that let my story be a beacon of hope. You know, it takes the attention of the higher ups to, to, for them to step up and say, you know, we need to focus on the arts. We need to make sure that the arts are represented just as much as sports or, um, math or science or any of these core curriculums the arts need to be present in our kids lives so i'm i'm always looking to visit the schools and to speak and to fundraise and all of these things and i think it oh that cut you off i, I was also going to add you know it's also important for us not to just stop at 18 or stop at high school. The trend needs to continue on. I'm, I'm pushing to open up uh, the civic youth ensembles here at the DSO. I'm looking to raise the age limit to maybe a senior undergraduate because there's, I was just there and I know what it was like to, as a wind player, you know, to struggle in college because I wasn't getting, I wasn't allowed the playing opportunities because I wasn't quite there yet as an undergraduate. So. I'm, I'm pushing to raise the age limit so that we have these undergraduates who can continue to act as mentors to the younger student. And that only helps everyone. It helps everyone. And I was just going to say, like, it's educators like that. It's educators like what anybody does that goes out of their way, like besides clocking in and clocking out. Like there is time sometimes that you work those jobs that you got to clock in, clock out because you got to reserve your time and save your energy. But the further us educators can go for the next generation is like what they did for us. And <clears throat> without that, I always preach to all my kids. I'm like, if you go to college, there is a, there is a concert band. There is, if you like it, there's a marching band, there's an athletic band. There's something you can do to either a, cause college is expensive now because they, they can't charge us for air yet. So they're going to raise the right price of college. You can get money for that. And then B it's also you've already put in seven years, maybe eight. Why would you just automatically stop it the minute like, oh, well, we're done. I don't have a band class every day. And it's just like it just try it. And if it's not your shake, then um, I have one of the kids in one of the high schools that teach. They're like, 
I'm in a rock band at Guitar Center. I'm like, you play the flute. I love that for you. Like, and now what if you create a rock band at the high school and get other people to play instruments outside of what they have? Because the high school has some stuff. But it's like anything, all of our educators and the village that we have at Relative Pitch and anybody to go the extra mile if we can is just like what will carry education and push it to the forefront. People who are clocking in and clocking out and not barely doing the bare minimum is what brings education back. And it's like, oh, see, you don't really need education. This is what you just do this. It's like a math teacher. We can get a substitute teacher and they can do this. They just get a curriculum. I'm like, no, it's truly more than that. But yes, I will commend you for that and urge everybody else who watches this to do the most you can do. And that's not what uh, McFadden does or I do or Anthony or Lauren. It's what you can do. And if it's a little bit like going to help your eighth grade or seventh grade middle schooler, if you're a high schooler and going to help somebody, that's enough because they, they will take that. So it doesn't have to be a lot. It just has to be a little bit. It takes a village is such an understatement. You know, it takes everything. Mm-hmm. Teachers, parents, fellow students, administrators, city council. It takes everything. Um, in your experience, in, so now you kind of have it on both sides. As a player coming, you know, um, up through that system and, and you were an apprentice and now you have your own position, like your own title, you know, what what do you hope to bridge that gap? You know, some people say that there's a gap um, between professional jobs and, you know, getting to that level. What would you say for someone that's coming up in this way to do this and, and it'll all work out? What are some advice that you have for those people? You know, if there's an organization or an arts administrator who hears this, opportunity is key. I believe in the model, learn by doing. And you can't learn by doing if there are no opportunities to do so. So opportunity needs to be available first and foremost, and then support. You can't support without giving the opportunity. You know, you have to allow anyone to be in a position to better their craft and to learn. So opportunity first, then support. You can all, you hear so many stories of, you know, administrators going, oh yes, we support this community. We support this community, but how, you know, what resources are you making available? How many hours are you really putting into helping this community? So opportunity is important. And that's how we bridge that gap between professionalism and education or professionalism and being an amateur musician. You know, you need to have the opportunity and the resources as well as support. No, I, I love that. And I love the the framing of what you were saying of extending that program to include up to seniors and undergrad because people don't realize that there are so many students who are in education programs or who are in programs and undergraduate who still need more opportunities to grow and you grow and make progress through opportunities, through experiences. But if you are not given those opportunities, given those experiences, how, how can you be expected to grow? And yeah, there, there are opportunities of, there are moments where we can make it and say, okay, well, we want to create this and da da da. But at the same time, there are also people in positions where they are literally getting paid to do things like this or can have the resources to do these things for these people 
And exactly what you just said, that is a, a prime example of how you can use where you are to better, you know, people who need those opportunities. And it would be so interesting to see what would happen with a group if there was like a, you know, a study, a case study on like a, a group of undergraduates who were able to have those experiences and opportunities, what the difference would be within their progress. You know, and I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing something like that happen. I remember my freshman sophomore year, you know, I had come from in high school always playing in an orchestra. I'm sorry, I never played in concert, concert band or marching band. We did have them, but they weren't like, you know, the, the thing that everyone did. Um, so when I went to university, all of a sudden I'm playing in a concert band and I'm thinking, okay, why is this? Of course, I know there's competition and, and you know, they're graduate students and everything, but they take up the space for younger musicians. And that's where you hear so many stories. That's where, you know, undergraduate first years where they think, you know, okay, I'm not good enough because they don't immediately come in because they're used to playing first chair in their high schools or whatnot. And then they come to university. So they have no understanding of, you know, what the world is really like for a professional musician if you make them aware of that before they get to this place you know then you, that's when we have more more young musicians sticking with with playing their instrument and going out to get jobs and going to get you know doctorate degrees and master's degrees and whatnot um, but because of the lack of opportunity and it's just like you're immediately thrown into the ocean you know, you have to swim in the pond first. <laughs> I, I don't like metaphors, so I don't know why I'm using all of these metaphors. But um, you ever had a conductor who's just like, play like the sky is blue on a Wednesday afternoon? I hate that. But So I don't know why I'm using it, but that's the only way to get it across. <laughs> Sometimes it works, and then other times everyone just kind of goes. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Yeah, it's you know. snowing outside. <laughs> I'll miss the snow. Uh, I woke um, up to snow this morning. <laughs> y'all can have that. Um, that y'all y'all can have that one there. Um, so, how has it been for you as a a black man in this art form? You know, I would have to say when you. 30, 20, 10 years ago, uh, we may be, a, we're not, we didn't have the same chances as we might have today. How has it been in 2020? We're in three now, right? 2023, how has it been? And how old are you, by the way? <laughs> I'm 22. I guess it's like. <laughs> so as a 22 year old in 2023, as a black man, as an orchestral conductor, how has that been for you? You know, I'd be lying if I said, oh, I've had it so rough and uh, so many trials and tribulations, which there has been, but I have to be completely honest. Because these organizations are starting to have programs for young musicians of color, I mostly have seen greatness come of it. Now, here's what I will say. It is my responsibility to make myself aware of the past and the history of musicians of color within the classical music organizations. Of course, I get looks and I get questions like, where are you really from and all of these things. 
And I get surprised reactions of, oh, you're a conductor, really? And, you know, of course. Um, but like I said, it took a village um, for me to get where I am, especially being so young. So I, I, I would be completely lying to you if I said, you know, I had the hardest time. That's not the case because of my musical ancestors who've come before me to make sure that we didn't have to go through that. So I can only be of service to future generations if I continue that trend so that it gets easier and easier and easier to the point where it doesn't have to become a struggle from the get-go. I, first of all, <clears throat> I have been dethroned as the youngest person. On I literally the was thinking about that, Lauren. I was like, I, is he our youngest guest ever? I think I so. I really feel so sad and so happy in this. I have such mixed emotions. <laughs> I'm always like, I'm the youngest in the room. Uh, that's me. And then You're not. 22. I just found I'm the youngest assistant conductor of a major symphony orchestra in the U.S. That is, and okay. one of only three black assistant conductors. Yeah, black male assistant conductor. Sorry, that's amazing. Come on, let's put respect on that, y'all. Let's like hey. come on, put respect. <laughs> like, period. Come on. Yes, yes. I was guessing he was like 22. I was guessing you were 22. He said 21 at some point. Then I went. You won that job when you were how old? And then I was like, and he said that yeah, after I saw your eyes squint, and I was and I like, and I saw you calculate in your head like, wait a minute, because like, oh, yes. yes. <laughs> 22, 23 in June, okay? So, okay. and you're Lauren, you're 23. I'm 24. I'm 24. You're 24. I turned 20. Well, you remember I turned 25. Oh, I forgot. You're old. See, you got bags under your eyes now. He's the youngest. No, no. <laughs> fresh. She's Not fresh. the shade. Hold on. See, let's change the combo because you know it's yeah, real shady. Let me go back. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold Let on. me turn my camera off to last. <laughs> <laughs> the mess. The mess. The okay. I got the mute. I, the I really right. The mute. Can we talk about the because what you said is so true and I I did really notice this, and this is something I feel like me and like me, Anthony and Michael talked about a lot. Is like the year, it's like the year and two under us felt so much younger than our year in when we were going through school. And the reason I say that, first of all, it just felt true. It felt like they were just it was a completely different generation because we were that cusp nineteen ninety eight um, generation of being like right there where people some people are like you're technically millennials but you're not because you didn't really grow up in the 90s you just were born and then you were like alive really like you, you gained consciousness somewhere in the early 2000s but like what you're talking about these programs that have come out and that like there are a lot of on um, it's it's really amazing actually to hear younger students and people of color who are saying they did not have to go through the same things that we went to because baby i can write a whole dissertation on the stuff that i had to go through <laughs> in undergrad through my master's through everything to get to where i am and same for anthony we've had many conversations still have those conversations to this day of things that we've had to go through but we are also doing the work to make sure people who look like us don't have to go through those things in the past so it is good to be reminded that this is happening where there are people who are coming through, who are getting education, who are getting jobs, and they've not had to go through those same struggles. That's what now, I want to talk about. I will say, of course, with any person of color or majority of the people of color, there are instant, 
there's there are specific incidents um, where they have gone through things, which I have. I mean, I've had a music teacher say the N-word to me. I've had a music teacher say the N-word in a classroom full of non-people of color and me being the only one of two. Um, I, like, of course, I've gone through things, but I, when I, when I research and hear the stories of, you know, people like Michael Morgan and all of these historic and legendary, legendary Black musicians, I go, oh my goodness, that's... I don't want to say it's not that it's nothing, but that's like, like, how, how are they still like, how are they able to get through it? Right. You know? So, but I, majority of my professional career, I can honestly say, you know, there have been very few moments that I felt like I didn't deserve it or that I wasn't worthy. Of course, as a black man, I'm always battling, you know, should I be here? When I walk into CVS or Target, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, if I don't buy anything and I just walk out, they're going to think I stole something. Of course, I'm thinking when I'm on the podium, they're really listening to this young 22 black year old, black young adult. They probably are not listening to me. Of course, like all of these things are running through my head. Um, but that's minuscule and compared to you know everything that the past generation has gone through before us. And I and I pray and hope that it only becomes less and less and less. Which it seems to be the case. Absolutely. Slightly. I mean, I, even for us, like I, I look back and, and I'm like, you know, when we have, you know, come up in which we still are, you know, emerging with careers and everything, I am very thankful and blessed to be in some of the the rooms, the spaces that I I have, you know, been afforded to be in. Um, And it's because, like you said, our musical ancestors that really paved those roads for us. And I I actually had uh, lunch the other day with one of the um, Alfred Watkins, who is like internationally known, you know, band director, like, one of the first, you know, black high school band directors to achieve that success. And hearing his stories, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, I couldn't, like, especially in today's climate, couldn't, you know, not only battling um racism from music, but racism and just going out into public, you know, luckily for the most part now, we haven't had to deal with that, you know, because we live in a modern society. Of course, there's microaggressions and, and there you still got your crazy folks. And But nowadays, crazy folks, they know, they know, they scared a little bit, okay? They scared, don't, don't, don't scared scared enough. Enough. <laughs> Not scared enough. They ain't scared enough. Not enough. I've had a few patrons say, say a few things. Oh, right, I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. No, no, no. They're still there. And some of them are truly crazy. Um, but in those moments, that's when I'm like, mm, you want to be rude, baby? I'll show you real disrespectful. Don't, don't. It can go both ways. But I am still very thankful of the ancestors that came before us. And, and I have been, you know, a recipient um, of having it for us. And I'm just so, so, so glad um, I think William Lake said it the best. Every um, one of us Black musicians, we do not all need to struggle to be successful in this field. 
And this, this, our community sometimes pigeonholed us into that, you know, the music that is being written by Black composers, the, the ones that, you know, get very much exposure, of course, is something of, from tragedy. And it's like, we are not all, tra- we don't need those traumatic events. We have had enough. Trust us when we say that. You know, let us, we are happy. We we have joy. We have all of this. Let's showcase that. So I'm just so glad to see that, you know, for the for the most part, you, you have enjoyed success in, in that realm. So I'm just, it warms my heart. It really, really does. Now, I have a question for you as a conductor. Have you ever felt that you needed to fit to be like another conductor or, or when you get on the podium, I need to put on this persona to, because that's, what's been respected so far. Have you ever had to deal with any of that? Of course, of course. And I think this goes for anyone in the orchestral setting, you know, even a concert master, they go, Oh my goodness, I have to be, lean pristine i have to be you know completely confident and say this is how it goes it's the same thing as a conductor you know i think of the legendary conductors uh simon rattle and carrion and all of these legendary figures and i and i think i will never amount to them and then i also add on my blackness and i go they're never going to respect me Mm-hmm. So, of course, all of these things are constantly going through my mind, but I have to remind myself, you know, I'm supposed to be here. Right. I got this position because they saw something in me, mm-hmm. even though I might make a mistake or even though there's so many things that I don't know. I'm only 22. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm supposed to be here. My dad says closed mouths don't get fed. If I don't know something, I'm going to ask if I want to know something. I'm going to ask. Um, if I don't want to know something, I'm not going to ask, but I still want to hear it. You know, um, you know, I, I'm always thinking that I'm not good enough, but I have to remind myself that I'm supposed to be here mm. and, and that this was meant for me. I didn't break my mom's hangers for nothing. You know, <laughs> that doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. Something, something led me here. And, and I know, I know I have so much ahead of me um but it's it's up to me to get there and mm-hmm. i and i have to keep keep all of the the negativity and the comparisons out of it um of course as a conductor you have to put on a persona you can't get too close to the musicians you can't get too close to administration you have to be very you know set and and informed you have to be musically curious when you're not, when you lose curiosity, you you should stop doing the job. Right. Um, so that persona, per se, or personality comes with knowing the responsibility that you're there to do. Mm-hmm. But it's important to be yourself. It's important to show that you know you're confident in yourself. Because how do you, how do you expect others to want to follow you if you you know if you aren't confident? In music and out of music, how do you expect people to love you if you don't love yourself? 
How do you mm-hmm. expect people to want to be your friend if you're not friendly? You know, all of these things, it's human nature to, the job is literally human nature. Mm-hmm. That's as, as simple as I can put it. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from the RuPaul um, said, if you can't love yourself, how the hell can anybody else love you? So, <laughs> and that's so true. And, and I tell, you know, students of mine who are, you know, going to conduct them like, don't try to be me. Don't try to be, you know, Dr. So-and-so. Don't try to be boom. Go be yourself. You know, um, what is going to make a performance special it's you, nothing else. Same thing to any of my my uh, instrumental students. Yeah, don't try to play it like so-and-so because guess what? You ain't so-and-so, you know? Like you were not that person. Be who you are because you'll bring- It's okay to have inspiration. Right, It's absolutely. okay to have inspiration and to be inspired. We wouldn't have evolved as a civilization mm-hmm. or, or, or human race if we didn't- draw inspiration from each other you know that's that's nature um but it's important to be informed it's important to learn and master your craft because that's how you become an innovator and that's how you form ideas you can't form an idea or an opinion about something of which you do not know and do not take the time to understand in music and out of music i should say um that's just what I have to say about this. <laughs> I love that. I feel like I'm preaching. Glory. So it always feels like we're at church a little bit. You know, it's it's good. It's good. Uh-huh. No, I, I, I start articulating everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We no, got a little yeah, preaching yeah. rag and everything. So mm-hmm. right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a glove wow, this is a glove <laughs> but no I mean that's another thing that I feel like these past few years have been really it's been a catalyst no matter all the all the terrible things that um, were brought on by COVID one of the things is that it was a catalyst for a lot of change and for a lot of uh, people to take you know a stand in things that were unique to who they were and I think that is the wave that I'm seeing a lot of now within the arts. I mean, kind of everything actually is this wave of innovation and being unique and being true to who you are rather than this idea of uh, conformity. Because yeah, we have inspiration, but often a lot of the time it's a lot of imitation that's happening out. And it's it's very tiring, especially you go on social medias and, and you see everyone doing and saying the exact same things. And it's just, it's, there's a fatigue with it. It's just like, who's doing something real? Who's doing something fresh that is, is unique to who they are, that they're, you're doing with intention. Um, You know, exactly what you're trying to say, or you're going towards that. I feel like those are the, the people, the stories, the messages that I feel the most drawn to now. I don't really here to see the same thing, same when it happens in, you know, shows and movies and all these other things we consume. I don't want to see something that's been done the same way a hundred, because I could just rewatch those, or I could just go back and look at them because they've already been done. What are people doing that is actually new, that is actually fresh, that's actually a, a different take, a different perspective 
on what's already been doing. And yeah, you have to you have to know what has been done to understand what is new, right? So we have to have an understanding of the past. This is why teaching history in schools is very important. You know, it's we have to know, we have to know. But I'm always, especially with this, you know, like we are the future, we are the youth. And it really is our job right now to set the stage for what's going to be coming years, 5, 10, 20, 50 years, because we're still going to be here, Lord willing, <laughs> we'll all be here and we'll all be, you know, pushing it still for change and seeing people who are now our, who are our age, but then also doing the same thing, continuing to push, continuing to change because we have, we have adapted. That's how humans are, how we have evolved to be who we are now is that we saw that there were things that need to be changed. We did those things. Um, so I think it is our responsibility being who we are now to constantly look for what needs to be changed, what needs to be pushed to the next level. Um, and I think that's something we're all interested in doing, obviously. I don't think really any of us, majority of us, I'll say, are interested in keeping things the same as they are, you know. So it's exciting. I'm excited. Like it's speaking to you like and having, I mean, again, having the youngest person on the podcast, I'm not mad. Um, but <laughs> like having you on here and having this discussion is exciting. And it, it's, I'm super excited to see what our field is going to look like um, in five, 10, 20 years. It's, there's going to be changes that happen naturally, but what those changes are, who knows? But I'm, I'm just, it's very exciting to see for sure. Agreed. Agreed. It's been a pleasure having you yes. on the podcast with us and just telling us your experience and just all the great things. Um, I guess we're going to have to take a trip up to Detroit and, and come and see the show <laughs> and, and anywhere else you are. So can you tell our audience how to keep up with you uh, social media wise and just become part of your village? Sure. Uh, everything is my name. So Nazir McFadden on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, NazirMcFadden.com for my website. You can also keep up with me through my management, Keynote Artist Management, or the Detroit Symphony Orchestra's page. Everything's my name. I always like to say when there's someone I don't really like um, and they ask me about me and I go, just Google me. <laughs> so you can Google me. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that. So to all of our listeners and watchers, um, please, please, please go follow and become part of Nazir's uh, village because we definitely are and we are always going to be supporting you and everything that you do. So thank you again for joining us on today's podcast and stay tuned for next week's episode, everybody. See y'all later. Bye.